0: I don't know
1: how I got it got under
2: the Well,
0: it just worked its way. Uh huh. Over time. A after church. Um, I don't want. Some people just irritate you. And he really irritates me. You They're like his mind. We we're not. Like I don't have a microphone.
1: No microphone. There we go. In times like these.
0: <clears throat> We, we used to lock a member service when, back in the olden days. I've got a key and I guess Virginia probably still has hers.
1: Take care of some important
0: business. What, We're ready. Oh, well, go ahead.
1: <laughs> in times like these. Says, in times like
2: these you need a Savior in times like Oh, wow.
0: we have blessed people two or three times a day, however many you want. You can come in and worship God. Do it freely with no worry about being any kind of thing said to you, except welcome. Come in. Let's worship the Lord. Father, it's good to be in the house of the Lord. And as we're gathered here tonight, Lord, we thank you that we are going to receive from your word stability and growth We're going to take another step up on the ladder, another rung, And Father, we're going to do that because you have a word that does not return void, but it accomplishes all the things that it sets out to do, Father God. So as we gather tonight, there are many who have issues that need to be dealt with. Father, you're, you're ministering to each and every individual here in this congregation tonight. Father, you'll minister to those that are watching currently and those that will see it later, Father God. And we just thank you that there's no bounds to the Spirit of God and what it'll do. Father, we just want to lift up our pastor Phil and continue to lift him up in prayer and knowing that your healing hand is upon him, Father God. And we thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: As the deer...
2: As a deer handeth for the water so
1: care Turned off right now. Okay, uh, so you'll know our projector gave up on us this morning. After 30 some years of good service, it finally just said, I've had enough, and it bit the dust. So we have one of the little projectors that we put on the back screen for the funeral that's going to be here tomorrow. So at least we will have some type of uh visual for them on at the funeral uh when we turn all of the chandeliers off and everything it it goes on the screen a lot better that screen that projector is made to work about 20 feet from the screen and it's trying to operate at about 150 feet so it's working as running as fast as it can (laughs) Danny, would you lead us in prayer, please? Father
0: God, we thank you once again for the opportunity to be here, Lord. And as we get an opportunity to give tonight a tithe and offering, Father God, we just thank you. Uh, that we can participate in this action, and that we will receive from you blessings because you have more blessings than we have the ability to walk in, so we can walk in as you do.
1: Amen. Um, I will serve thee. I
2: will serve thee.
3: It's good to see you all here. (laughs) It's good to be here. You might want to turn in your Bibles or see it up on there. uh, The Gospel of Luke, beginning in the 14th chapter. I'm going to read the first verse and then I'll skip down to the seven. Jesus is a Pharisee's house. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee he was being carefully watched when he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table he told them this parable when someone invites you to a wedding feast do not take the place of honor for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, Give this man your seat. And then, humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he will say to you, Friend, move up to a better place. And then you will be honored in the presence of all your fellow guests. For everyone who exalts himself uh, will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. And then Jesus said to his host, When you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers, relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. May God add His blessing to the reading of His Word. Thomas Wheeler... (laughs) was a chief executive officer of a Massachusetts mutual life insurance company. He himself tells this story on himself. He says that while he and his wife were driving, they noticed that they were low on gas. So he pulled off at the first exit and came to this dumpy little gas station with one pump. There was only one man working that place, And he asked the man to fill it up while he checked, he himself checked the oil. He added a quart of oil, closed the hood. He turned around and he saw his wife smiling and talking to the gas station attendant. Now, when they saw him looking at them, the station attendant immediately walked away and pretended that nothing happened. Well, Wheeler paid the man, and he and his wife drive out uh, from that little seedy station. And as they drive down the road, he asked his wife, Do you know that attendant? Well, she said, uh, she admitted that she did know him. In fact, she said she had known him very well. For it seems that they had not only gone to high school together, but they had dated seriously for about a year. (laughs) Well, Wheeler said he couldn't help but bragging a little bit and said, "Boy, were you lucky I came along! Because if you had married him, you'd be the wife of a gas station attendant instead of the wife of a chief of executive officer." His wife replied, "My dear." if I had married him he'd be the chief executive officer and you'd be the gas station attendant <laughs> A man tells that on himself I know there are many wives out there breathing a heavy amen Jesus warned us time and time again not to think more or highly of ourselves than we ought to think the overall impression we get from the Gospels of Jesus uh, is Jesus dislikes stuffiness. How else do you explain the prostitutes going into the kingdom before the Pharisees? He told that story. Or Pharisees are the best people of the community. How well do you explain? He said, I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was naked, sick, and in prison. Does that sound like Jesus identified with the people of the town? Or the best people of the town? What kind of kingdom is it in which the first shall be last and the last first? How do you feel about it? Sounds kind of radical to me. Of course, for those who believe God is an American and middle class at that, there's nothing wrong uh, to look at it like, that way. Americans love an underdog, and so does God. And that's good news, that he loves an underdog. First of all, it's a word of encouragement, because from time to time, all of us are, all, are underdogs from time to time. None of us is at his best are, are all the time. There are times when all of us are inadequate for the task at hand. I was reading something a little bit hilarious this afternoon that happened when television was live. Studio One, I know none of you are old enough to know that. Studio One was one of the most popular shows in the golden days of live television. During one memorable broadcast, the scene uh, was the interior of an airplane uh, and in uh, and a, a scene of, a, of its cabin. The scene called for the, for the plane to be an altitude of 30,000 feet flying over the mountains of Tibet. Three men were in the cabin talking when suddenly there was silence because one of the actors forgot his lines. Being a live production, of course, Uh, there there was no retakes and no stopping the action and that was it. Millions of eager viewers were glued to their uh, black and white TV sets waiting to see what's going to happen next. What did the actor do? He got to his feet in an airplane cabin supposedly 30,000 feet over the mountains of Tibet and voiced this immortal line. Well, here's where I get off. He left his seat and walked into history. No wonder they video all of the shows now and cut that kind of thing out. It would be interesting to know how the other actors covered his exit. Sometimes we all get ourselves into situations like that. Situations in which the most we can do is hope for a graceful exit. And at the beginning of the Spanish siege of Gibraltar, there's something that happened. You know, I teach history for these here in school. I have to throw in some history know, uh, It was in 1779 to 1783, they're having a siege of, of, of Gibraltar, the Spanish were. Believing that the siege would be a short one, the queen declared that she would not move until she had seen a Spanish flag flying over the Gibraltar. (laughs) As the days passed and there were no signs that the fortress would fall, her vow became a little bit embarrassing because she kept sitting there. Eventually, a British commander took pity on her and gallantly waved the Spanish flag for a couple of minutes so that the queen could move and go home. We've all been there. Even royalty sometimes looks foolish. Indeed, no one looks more foolish than a proud person trying to hide a boo-boo that he's made or she's made. When Abraham Lincoln's line gives us, we all feel better. Here's what he said. The person who is incapable of making a mistake is incapable of doing anything. I like Lincoln. I'm glad that God loves the underdog. What a relief it is to know that he does not expect perfection. What a word of encouragement. Even more than that, it is a statement of faith. Do you remember that uh, wonderful story of Gideon? It was back in Judges 6 through 8. The armies of the had and Amalekites And the people of the east were amassed against the people of Israel. The writer tells us that these armies laid down along the valley like locusts of the multitude. And their camels were without number. And uh, it was like sand which was upon the seashore. It must have been an impressive and a terrifying sight to face such an army. God called a man named Gideon to rally the people of Israel and to lead them against that that, uh, invading horde of people. 32,000 men uh, volunteered to fight. And uh, so uh, Gideon felt pretty good. I've got 32,000 men gonna fight with me. But God said, that's too many. God's reason, if Israel wins with a big army, the people will say, this is a victory we have won. They will not understand that God gave them the victory. Now, I know there's you all not old enough to know this, but we were scared during the Second World War. We weren't sure we were going to win. It was scary. We won by the grace of God, and that's how we won. Well... Uh, Tell those who are afraid, tell them to go home, God said. 22,000 men picked up their suitcases and left. And uh, and they went home. Now there's just 10,000. God said, 10,000. That's too many. Tell you what you do. Let the men drink, and those who lap up the water like a dog, you keep them and send the rest home. Now there were down to 300 God said that's more like it. God loves an underdog. God much prefers David's to Goliath. Why? St. Paul tells us in 1st Corinthians in the first chapter, so that no one can boast in the presence of God. God is glorified in our weakness. When we are weak we learn to depend upon God. When we depend upon God, we find that how strong then we can be. In his book, Loving God, Charles Coulson gives a powerful example of human weakness and divine power. He tells about a Russian Jewish doctor by the name of Boris Cornfield, a Russian Jewish doctor who was sentenced. Uh, to a most inhuman Russian prison for a political crime during the 1950s. Because he was a physician he did receive some privileges in prison in return for treating the other prisoners. Still he suffered a lot of abuse because he was not only a doctor but he was Jewish as well. His treatment uh, uh, would have been unbearable except that he developed a friendship with another prisoner who, through the quality of his Christian witness, brought Cornfield to a Christian commitment. Cornfield felt a great inner freedom then, after this, in spite of his oppressive environment. Still, he knew that his days were numbered. He felt a a great, almost overwhelming, need to share this inner freedom with someone else. He wanted to share Jesus with somebody else. He had a patient, a cancer patient who was awaiting surgery. Even though the patient was drifting in and out of consciousness because of the anesthesia, Cornfield shared with him what Christ had done for him in his own life. Cornfield was so enthusiastic about this change in his own life that he caught the patient's attention in spite of the brief lapses brought on by the medicine. Late into the night, the doctor stayed with his patient, sharing his faith with him and uh, in, in the unsearchable in, uh, riches of Christ. Later that night, someone sip, slipped into the doctor's room and bulged him with a hammer and killed him. Now, from a human standpoint, that should be the end of the story a tragic story ending only in grief however it's not the patient recovered from his surgery and resumed his life for a while in prison however he was a changed man because of cornfields testimony he became a christian and what a christian he became his name Alexander Solzhenitsyn. Boris Kornfield in his weakness in a prison, testifying to a cancer patient seemed semi-conscious, only hours before himself was murdered, could not know that he was touching someone who within a couple of decades would become one of the world's most influential voices for Christ. To God be the glory He's glorified in our weaknesses. God loves the underdog. And what, that's a measure, a message of encouragement. What a statement of faith. But one thing more, there's a word of warning. It is true that God loves the underdog. What does that say to the inhabitants of the wealthiest and most powerful nation in the world? Someone has noted that the scripture that people use most to condemn homosexuality is the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. There is more to that story. The usual reason given for the destruction of these cities was sexual immorality. And that certainly is is one of the reasons, just one. But the prophet Ezekiel talked about this destruction. And Ezekiel said, This was the iniquity of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had pride of wealth and food in plenty, comfort and ease, and yet she never helped the poor or the wretched. We live, you and I, in a rapidly changing world. Consider the fall of the Berlin Wall. Who would have predicted that? Who could have seen, foreseen Japan? When we bombed Japan, she was buried under a rubble of bombs. and That was just merely a generation ago. And now she's perceived as one of the greatest threat to national prosperity today. It takes less time than we might think for the world order to reverse itself. And the last become first. Perhaps we need to think harder than we have ever thought before about our relationship with other people of this world, particularly our neighbors who have so little as individuals. We also need to heed this word of warning. Leo Tolstoy wrote a story of a Russian cobbler named Martin. Martin lived in a cellar with a single window. And from his vantage point, he could mostly just see boots of those who passed by. Few there were that had not been touched by his hand. While Martin was still a journeyman, his wife died. Then the one son that grew that, that grew up, he became the pride of Martin's life. He had a wonderful son. Then he too, the son died, Living, leaving Martin despairing and murmuring and cursing God one day Martin was visited by an old peasant passing through his city and he said he said to Martin Martin your speech is not good how shall we judge the doings of God it is because you have lived for thine own delight that you despair But what is a man to live for, inquired Martin. The man said, For God, Martin, he gave you life, and for him you must live. Then you will grieve about nothing more, and and all things will come easier for you. The story continues with Martin finding fulfillment in serving God. He was serving others. Now many of us would find life more fulfilling too if we understood that we have been blessed primarily to be a blessing. We're blessed so that we can bless. If we hoard our possessions and despise our less fortunate neighbors, we will discover too late that we have missed the kingdom of God. So be careful. The next time you are invited to a banquet, That you sit in a position of less honor, so that your host, your host who is God, will call you up to a more honored position. After all, God loves an underdog. Let us sing the closing hymn. We're so glad to see you all here today. You're brave. What are we
1: singing? Rescue the perishing. Rescue the perishing. Rescue the perishing. Rescue
2: the perishing. Care for the dying. Snatch them in pity from sin. And the grave weep for the erring one. Lift up the fallen. Tell them of Jesus the mighty to save.
1: Yes it is and
2: and
3: it so many ways. us see the share Jesus' Amen. Amen.